TV Drama Podcast. I'm Scott, and joining me again tonight, I don't know, the somewhat southern speaker to my numbnut sin eater, it's Brian. Hey, Brian. Hey, hey Scott. I wondered what you're going to pull out of your ass this week. That was uh, that was pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> it certainly smelled like something I might have pulled out of my ass. That's sure. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, like about 15 minutes before we got on the call, I was like going, all right. I haven't really thought about it. Then I remembered Sin Eater. It's like, okay, I got to work Sin Eater. And I was trying to come up with something that would rhyme. And then after a while, I was like, everything I'm coming up with is lame. And I said, ah, fuck it. Just, <laughs> just, just do. I was like, ooh, Southern Speaker, Sin Eater, somewhat. I'm not, that works fine. Okay. Maybe I've, I let people behind the curtain way too much on this fucking podcast. We are here to discuss the third episode of Fargo season five. And yep. And the title of that episode would be The Paradox of Intermediate Transactions. By the way, I'm not going to get into a long explanation of the title because I don't want to. Um, if you anyone cares, unless Brian wants to offer it up, guess what? You can Google it and then you'll see. I just don't feel like it. It's, it's, it'll, it'll be like, a, it'll be like 45 seconds of blah, blah, blah. The only thing I wanted to point out about the title that kind of, made me smile is it felt like a return to the kind of titles this series used to have which would have these long wordy you know titles that seem to be based on different sort of you know theories and, and philosophical and it's something that he, I mean, he did on fargo um i even noticed they did the antecedent at how do you pronounce it i can't pronounce antecedent it. thank you uh um, on fargo and, and little things like that also, I didn't know until I had clicked on some of the extras on Hulu that, and again, Noah Hawley, king of the smartasses as far as I'm concerned, as far as uh, TV creator writers, more so than Gilligan and Wiener and all of them combined, he goes as far as, he doesn't refer to this being Fargo, you know, the fifth season. He keeps he keep referring to it as the fifth installment. He won't, yep. he, like now people like, you know, if you listen to like John Hamm or Juno Temple, they will, they will say season because no one gave them the memo. It's like, no, 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 no. It's installment. <laughs> I just think that's crazy, but I love it. I love that shit. Anyway, so let's get right to the episode. We might talk about a few other minor TV matters when we finish up. Uh, cause we all, unlike last time we are just doing one episode. And even though it seemed like I was going to be skipping this week due to my uh, recent dental surgery, sounds like my voice can work. You know, I've, I've got, a, I've got a couple less teeth. So, you know, but let's see, do I still have the less? Yep. Pretty much. All right. Sorry guys. Anyway, so let's get to <laughs> You know, wham, but I'm fine. You know, just a lot of blood. So much blood. Okay. <laughs> you know what? I want, I want to, I should have uh, prepared ahead of time and gotten like a little clip from like Psycho. You know, blood, mother, blood. <laughs> All right. Let's, 
Stop Wasting Time. The episode is The Paradox of Intermediate Transactions, once again written by Noah Hawley. However, this time we have an episode that, that was not directed by him. It was directed by someone else, a Donald Murphy, who outside of directing, I think, all nine episodes of some little scene and probably little heard of series called Capers, he actually was a first assistant director on several episodes of a previous Holly series Legion, as well as the series Dope Six. So, you know, he's done his time and now he gets to direct an episode of Fargo. So he must be thrilled. So the first thing I was interested in talking about here, Brian, sir, and again, we don't need to go into any kind of extensive recap whatsoever, because that's kind of what I want to avoid whenever possible. But the first little slice of this episode or chunk really um, is following Roy Tillman is how I'm, at least that's how I look at it. It's Roy Tillman interacting with his son, you know, because it's taking place shortly after um, the murder at the end of the previous episode. And then we see, then later on, we see him with both his father-in-law and then his actual current wife. And I don't know if we knew, and if, I don't know, wait, did we? They, they might, I don't remember there being a reference to him having a wife before. No, if you remember, I, posed the question i wondered if he had multiple wives and like uh, you know i i suspect that once she went missing that maybe they declared her dead or he just married this other one not caring right but we we'd never seen her um this was her first appearance and knowledge that he had these these twin girls right so my point was going to be I, I it was just interesting to see how he interacts with these people and each one there's i think there's something kind of significant in each situation okay first obviously how he acts with uh his son um gator that is that his Mm -hmm. name not like ron gidry though um for the two yankee fans who are listening uh who are old um so it's interesting because he seems to alternate with his son because he's he's often demeaning to him, but perhaps not as much in the in the cliched way that we've seen on a lot of many many TV shows and movies over the years. I mean, there's a little bit of it there. I'm not I'm not I'm not going to give them a, a totally. Oh, it's so original. It's not that original, but there's there's some give and take there as well because even even though it obviously has. Uh, uh, has has had and continues to have a real impact on his son. By the way, we see him acting later on in the episode, especially. Um, but you know, it, it just it, it. I started thinking about it because I don't think we're going to get much in the way of the of a backstory between the relationship between father and son here. I think we just fill that in from scenes like this. But it may. But it's curious because you know, obviously. He's the sheriff, and his son is a deputy. His son, if that almost by definition, it's his son looking to follow in his father's footsteps. Right. So there's definitely now whether there's a hero worship there or just the way we've seen Roy's character in the, pre- in the previous episode as well as th- these opening scenes here. Um, he's a very, very dominating figure. And it's just, it, it's just, that's why I mean, why I thought it's very interesting to see how he, uh, the references to the situation that caused, obviously caused his wife to run off on him. And I think we're going to, we're still going to hear more about that over time. 
Um, and then all his interactions with, with, with these people, is, oh my God, especially his actual, his current wife, which is like, ooh. Um, so I just, I just thought that was really interesting because it, it, it kind of added this, these additional levels of domestic menace to him. And while at the same time, I, I don't want to say it made him, I'm not, I, I can't say it made him a sympathetic character. But it just it fleshed him out a little bit more, and I was like, going, okay, there's there, there's layers here. They're not layers that are necessarily um, pleasant, <laughs> you know. But at least right. there's more going on here. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Um, I, I think I'm correct. Was um, his father-in-law named Odin? Yep. Odin Little. And we've seen multiple characters with an eye put out in in this season. That's true. Wow. Um, and then something I'm sure we'll talk about later sort of goes back to the time of uh, conflict in England. And prior to that, I have a feeling, you know, Mr. Munch and his people might have come to England about 500 years prior to that. Hmm. Um, that scene. So, uh, yeah, I, I like the family interaction. We get a little hint of, you know, sort of uh, anti-government militia stuff going on and him funneling uh, armaments to this maybe Clive and Bundy inspired uh, group. But now about that. Right. Because obviously his, fa- his father-in-law is part of or. Either he's a le- the actual leader of it, perhaps he is of of a far right movement. You know, calling themselves 1776 is obviously some militia type situation. Um, the the, fr- the things he the things he says, you know, harsh words aren't going to get this done. Whatever. However, didn't you kind of get this? This is this is why I thought that's the this is what makes that interaction interesting to me. Roy's reaction while he's talking to him. Now. I think Roy could be somewhat of an opportunist to a certain to a certain degree. I think Roy is Machiavellian. I think Roy is an ends justify the means kind of guy, which also makes me think he doesn't necessarily believe his own bullshit. That he's not he that he's a man who doesn't I don't I don't know if I trust that he has the convictions that he has espoused so far. In these two episodes, and this isn't me trying to give him a break because who is John him? No, it's it's just he's he's kind of like it seems like he almost doesn't take it seriously. It's like going, oh, um, you know, and he, it's not like he doesn't really want to be part of it necessarily, but he can. But he's um, he's a savvy guy, and especially in this part of the country, this is the way the political winds are blowing. So I think he's just leaning right into it and taking advantage of that to, to such an extreme to, to the, to uh, to the extreme of corruption, obviously. Um, I just, but I, I, I can see him being about, well, I can see him being about money and I can see him being about power. Definitely. Um, I don't know if he, I don't, I personally don't know if he necessarily subscribes to these, uh, feelings himself to that degree. Um, now we do see later on when we see his son's bedroom, 
I believe one of the things hanging in his son's bedroom is, is that like a Confederate flag kind of thing? Or yeah. Or I'm mistaken. Okay. But that might be, see, to me, that might be the son buying into things, not realizing that he's not, you know, he doesn't truly believe in himself. I mean, again, I'm, I'm just speculating. I'm just, I'm just, I'm going by the way the actor is portraying the scenes and the way he's reacting. And it doesn't seem to me he's quote unquote, quote unquote, into it the way, the way I, the, the father-in-law is. I think you, you touched on it earlier. I think you're correct that, um, I think that, uh, Roy Tillman likes to use the devices of power at his disposal and we use those which he can. Um, and you know, let's, let's be honest. I mean, he's pretty much told us he can do whatever he wants and he is the law. Right. Like what's he gained from revolution other than possible death and imprisonment. Like he already has everything he wants, except he doesn't have dot. Right. What, when, when we spoke last time, I, and I, I think one or one of us or both of us mentioned, you know, now, it's interesting seeing the show kind of in any way, shape or form reflect what's going on in recent years. And especially as far as the political climate is concerned. So, and I don't say this as I'm okay. I'm, I'm not trying to be pro or anti whomever here. I mean, it's pretty obvious where my beliefs and your beliefs lie. I think to anyone listening, but that's not what this podcast is about. Um, but there's a, there's a certain Trump, quality to what he's doing because those who have followed what Donald Trump has been over the previous 15, 20, whatever years know that, you know, a lot of the things that Trump has been doing and saying over the recent years is pretty much almost, if not the polar opposite, quite different than the way he spoke not that long ago. This isn't right. like when Reagan or Charlton Heston were once upon a time Democrats and then they became Republicans. Um, that that was more of a natural conversion with, you know, with the times because as we go from the 60s to the 70s and whatever, Trump did it seemingly, again, I don't want to get into a whole anti-Trump thing here. He saw an opportunity. He saw a vacancy and he went and he knew how to f to fill that and then take advantage of it. And I think that's what Roy has done here. That at least that's the impression I have so far. I mean, obviously if we see old pictures, I mean, cause how long ago did they say, has it been at least 10 years that dot ran away? Did, did they, I feel like someone said something like 10 years ago. Yeah. I that think, sounds right. I think that's what they said. Because I'm you know, also trying to do the math for... Yeah, because I was trying to figure out, wait, is Scotty his or is Scotty Wayne's? Because I'm not clear on that. I'm curious about that. I could see the dot might have escaped. I, I was curious. Like, I, I don't think it could be. But what's the... Like, who who's Gator's mom? That's true. I don't know that because like, it can't be taught. She's too well. No, that that would that would. I mean, unless like he raped her as a young girl and she was some sort of, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, I don't want to say any specific religion, but let's say one that has many wives, uh, <laughs> you know, um, top child bride who at a very young age gave birth to Gator. And started planning her escape. 
Mm. Um, so, I mean, it's unlikely, but are we going to find out like when he gets tired of a wife, like he just kills him, like he tried to kill Munch and, um, you know, the latest wife is wife number three or, you know, I'm going to see, I don't, again, I can only, obviously all we can do is go by what we've seen so far. Um, I don't get the impression Gator is, unless maybe I'm misinterpreting a scene, maybe. Because I haven't gotten the feeling that Gator is trying to track down his mom. Because wouldn't he wouldn't he act at least somewhat differently or react somewhat different? Just a little, a glimmer somewhere. I haven't seen that, so I I I don't. I'm thinking he's from he whoever whoever birthed him is is earlier earlier on. Because again, if he's already um, a deputy, whatever. Um, I think he's supposed to. He's supposed to be in his. At, well, he's supposed to be in his twenties. I mean, the actor himself is like twenty. We 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 remember talking about this with Stranger Things. The actor himself is like twenty seven, twenty six, twenty seven already. Right. And which would make sense because you know it's not. Last I checked, I mean, I guess it, since Roy is a law, maybe he could. But I don't think he's. I don't think a sixteen year old kid could be deputy, or well, maybe he could be. I don't fucking know. What? what, what where? Considering where this takes place, anyhow, I'm getting a little bit off track there. Um, yeah, but it's just I just the 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 way he acts with his son in this very dominating fashion, yet not it. He's not. It's it, he holds back, but it almost makes it worse in a way. You know, he doesn't scream at him, but. He does make, make clear, like, you know, yeah, and you, you fucked up again, you know. Even though if we, anyone who saw what happened last time was like, well, can we really blame the, I mean, <laughs> I mean, what, what, oh, oh, they said how to pronounce it in the episode. Do you, did you uh, catch the. It's like, oh, isn't it? Yeah, because they were saying it one way and then, yeah. So, of course, if his last name is Munch, we'll just call him Munch and just make it yeah. easier on, you know, try, we're not, we're not talking about Belzer from years ago. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, Munch flicking a cigarette, flicking a cigarette like he's freaking, you know, Bullseye from the Daredevil comics or something, you know, right in his freaking eye, and then firing the gun right by his ear, which is just doubly mean. I thought, you know, it's dealing with like a super villain. What do you, what do you expect? Um, but so it, the way he deals with his son, then. The interaction with the father-in-law is important because we know that's going on. And we see all these guys outside, like on the compound. And when you first see them, you got, you're going, ooh, is Roy putting together a posse? He's like, mm, actually, no. It's actually the father-in-law's guys. who are the, the, These are like the, the militias out there. Um, is it Roy who makes the comment about, you know, they can come in and have some food? And he says, no, nah, they're, they're outside animals or whatever. Yeah. Um, which also shows that he's a you know a bit more human perhaps, but you you got you got to wonder if these guys are going to come into play at some point because he can certainly it seems like he can at least use them even if they you know they're they're not you know his guys specifically. And then what he does the the, the thing with his wife Karen. Now, first of all, the fact that there's that toy chest for all the little sex games they play that lights up from the inside. I thought that was such a nice touch that there was like a refrigerator, like everything being lit up, whatever. I'm not talking about the the little sex game thing. She says, that's cute. Who cares? Uh, 
it's the moment when she gets in bed and when she like goes to lean on lion or Liam and he kind of just pushes her away and the way she immediately just tur- just goes to sleep and she looks like she's frightened yeah and all you can think is oh i'm remembering that conversation that that when, when we first really met met him in that diner we and when we talked about you know hitting a woman and you're realizing oh i think he's hit her you know pr- and probably bad whatever which also then feeds into why why we suspect dot left i mean when she's showing all those bruises on her back whatever i don't know if that's i don't i mean if it's from 10 years ago i don't know if she still has marks from then but maybe it's reminding her of that you know so yeah that that his his man left the same type of injuries on her that he did like right you know right 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 and then to top it off he's Smoking pot again. We've seen that he does that, so that's that's something, whatever. It's the staring at the ceiling moment. And he's, it's his, you know, he's high. It's his imagination. You know, we're not getting, you know, we're assuming we're not getting into a supernatural land here. But his imagination is really spot on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because he's imagining her, he's imagining Dot in her house, in her living room, whatever, there, whatever. And it's, pretty much what 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 the situation is and just the way he says i see you and i went wow they they just went like big time bad with that little moment there i thought you know mm-hmm. yeah and um th- this whole episode um i think we touched in last week that one of the things that uh we've liked about this show is it will just take a left turn and go into the supernatural or the weird um, you know, and this, that certainly runs through this whole episode. Um, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Maybe this, maybe the most since the UFO, like, you know, you know. Yeah. Um, um I'm trying to think if anything wacky happened in season three. I feel like, see, I feel like I'm forgetting something. Well, there was some weird three. David Thewlis stuff where like you questioned, is this guy like the devil or a demon or something right. that, that got kind of weird, but like to me, this seemed the most off kilter since the UFO. Right. Well, the UFO um, is, yeah, that's always, which be is like, I remember when that to, happened. You're like, what the hell? Yeah, like, you know, I was even telling someone when I was recommending that they need to watch it at the very least, watch seasons one and two. Yeah. And I said, okay, j- just, you know, just so you know, I want to warn you in advance. There's like maybe one thing I'd want to say what it was. I don't want to spoil it. There's maybe one right. thing in season two, which, you're either going to be on board with it and just laugh your ass off and be, and be cool with it. Or are you going to be like, what the fuck was that? Right. And I'm just, I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm going to say they, they, they did kind of, they did. If you're paying attention, they did sort of kind of warn you a little bit, although maybe you didn't think they would go to that extreme. Right. But I'm saying just go with it and then let it go. That's all. That's exactly. my only recommendation. Go with it. And it's like, okay, that happened. Now we can let it go. It's just like you know, the the I think maybe the closest they came to that maybe in the uh, Unfargoish season four was it like the random tornado that happens that just <laughs> yeah, that house out the you know the picturesque house out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, that's, remember yeah. that? Like, oh, they went a little Wizard of Oz and that's because little like, Wizard of Oz, where, the where, house on the can, plane. You got the Kansas thing happening there. Um. So I was thinking about this, especially 
when we spend the first chunk, little chunk of this episode with the, the Roy Tillman character, and I'm so proud that I can remember his name, so I, I don't have to keep saying John Hamm, um, because some characters I'm just always going to say him by by character name and some by actor name, whatever. But it seems like um, with him very much specifically, especially since he is like the the big villain of, of the series so far, and then his son to a lesser extent, and then Munch. I, I Munch falls into that category of the not a, a villain, but kind of the villain that kind of floats there. It's kind of like you know, you know, a couple of the guys like to go back to like season one. You know, the ones who are trying to kill Malvo, who are they're villains themselves, but you know, they're they're not they're in opposition to the main villain kind of thing. But it seems like. And I, I, you thought, I think you thought I was joking before when I said this before the podcast. But I mean, it, it's such a representative of toxic masculinity that to the point where it's like it, it reeks of it, and that I feel like it to to whatever extent. So that's kind of in the crosshairs this season. And when you shift over from that, then you realize um, some of the interesting things are doing here. I mean. First of all, the fact is, this all seems very familiar to us, right? It's very, it, there's certain elements that are all at work here that have that Fargo feel. And we talked about it last time, you know, crime's gone wrong, kidnapping's gone wrong, big bet. Some, someone's trying to hunt down this one. There's, there's a money scheme somewhere or, or supposed whatever. That's what Fargo is. Um, they flipped a lot of that here. You know, so that the person who is the, you know, the traditional Fargo thing, if you go back to the movie, the person who was the object of a kidnapping, you know, is pretty much a hapless and helpless victim, you know, who maybe gets in a few lucky shots, whatever. And Dot is the complete opposite of that. She is dry. You know, she is certainly not helpless. She's a tiger. She's a, she's a real tiger, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and she's the one kind of almost steering the action at this point. And, it, and then I, if you take another step back, you realize, okay, we've got a few major female roles here, female leads in this. And it seems like they all represent a different type or form of a strong female character or feminism, if you want to go to that, if you want to call it that. And each one has a certain level of being, you know, of empowered, so to speak, certain level of power themselves, although they may have to be subservient to some something something else, you know, if they want to or not. And you got because you have Dot, who we see one way. We she she she's first introduced introduced as this, you know, this this you know somewhat meek Minnesota housewife who accidentally tases a cop and then all sorts of silliness befall her, and then we realize. Oh no, she's kind of a badass. Oh no, she's a, we didn't know if she was a fugitive or just someone on the run who can clearly handle, <laughs> handle, handle anything for a weapon and take care of herself, you know, and can stand up to someone like a Lorraine, who is the more classic dominating figure who, who is all about status and money and thus that which is often what gives power to you, no matter whether you're male or female. She just happens to be female and she's the one kind of the matriarch of the family. Um, with that, again, I just love the giant no painting behind her. Yeah. I, I never want an explanation for it. I never, I never want it even referred to. I just like the fact that it's there. Um, but she, but it's it's a character who's set up in a way that okay we're going to be spending the entire season 
waiting for you to be taken down a peg. I don't count the dot conversation with her as accomplishing that. That was more just letting her know, I'm not, you, you think I'm something else? Oh no, I'm something different than what you're thinking. I'm something a whole lot worse. You know, back the fuck off. And which, again, that's one of my favorite scenes of the season so far because I didn't see it coming and I just loved it so much. And because I think we're already wired to not like the Lorraine character, either we, either we, we, either we question Jason, Jennifer Jason Lee's perf- uh, performance choices or not. Um, they work better in this episode than they have in the previous two episodes. Um, and I'm thinking specifically of, and this is where I get to the other female character. It's, it, it's almost like I planned this and you can see my eyes. I'm not, I'm not reading any of this shit. Um, <laughs> um, the main female, uh, the main cop this season, is also a female. It's it's Indira, whatever, and she certainly um, is endearing here. <laughs> but um, when they have that informal um, conversation, where if Lorraine just you know pretty much cuts them off at the quick, kind of going along with the ridiculous story that Dot's putting out there, which again really doesn't make any sense since they have. Tons of evidence to say otherwise. But if she leaves it at that, it's fine. But that's not what she does. And that's, I thought that was such a a fascinating scene because she's exerting a power that few people can get away with. She's exerting power the way Roy exerts power when those um, federal agents show up in a previous episode, where I mean, clearly, they know what he's up to. They know he's he's up to no good, and he's they're trying to make it clear. And he he doesn't give a fuck. He's just basically like, mm. he's basically like, I, I'm the law here, right? And I I I decide what's right or wrong, and everything. That's and that and these people. That's why these people put me here. You know, you guys mean nothing to me. Here, Lorraine is basically like you. You guys are your gatekeepers, right? Then she says something like your gatekeepers, yeah. and 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 you you basically she's telling you, you keep the rabble away from people like me, but 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 when you're with people like me, what are you? What are you're, you're inside the gates? There's no use for you. Yeah, there's your your use. So, two things, ballsy as fuck thing to say. That's because the um superior is there, and you can see his face, but he's like trying to keep her from doing anything because he realized it plays like if she fucking says something, she might lose her fucking job. Right. Which is crazy, but that's the situation. And number two, it's almost like a it's almost like a uh, a writing version. Uh what do we what's the thing you bring up all the time? We joke about it all the time. The uh was it Chekhov's gun or whatever yeah. that was, right? It's not exactly that, but you just, I felt like bookmarking this seems like, okay, I can almost guarantee at some point in one of the last ep- couple episodes of the season, maybe the last one, maybe one before that, and Deer is going to do something to really, you know, lay the smack down on Lorraine. <laughs> and really, and you just, it, it feels like it's set up for that. Now, they can avoid that and not do it, not because I know that seems predictable, but it's almost like, oh, come on. Because now you set it up that the we we kind of want that, and an issue I'm having. It's only three episodes in, and they might make up for it in the very next one. They probably will. I at least I hope they will. 
um, the pre the first three seasons again. I, I feel like season four needs to be, really just be taken out of the mix because it's just a different type of storytelling, you know. So the first three, which follow the more the Fargo brand more, I feel I felt like even three episodes in, we spent more time with and got to know the 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 police protagonist more than we have in these episodes. And that applies to both her and and the other fellow, uh, Wit, right? Um, because they're the pair of the season. You know, I, I I finally remembered who it was who was with uh the the Carrie uh Coon character. Um it was I can't remember the actress's name, but I know the character's name was Winnie. She was like the young up and coming uh e- yeah. eager beaver one who like so that 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 was your pair there. But you know, the first season Alison Tolman, Colin Hanks, second season Patrick Wilson and Ted Dance and whatever. It just seemed like they were more, I'm not saying they were the focus, but we just knew them better. And we haven't spent as much time with these two. And and there's part of me that wants to, so we get to know them better. And there's part of me that doesn't because I don't know how interested I am in their characters right now, especially her character. I mean, I know she's married to an asshole who's another example of, well, we'll go back to the whole toxic masculinity because he's, he's just a total douche. Um, it seems like the only decent dude in the whole thing is going to be Wayne. Who's just like a, a, a you know, <laughs> <laughs> who basically seems like he he looked like wait did you used to work for Roy, William H Macy in the original thing because right. it feels like you might you're you're a cut off the old uh, tree well there. it's 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 Wayne and Wit but uh, to to piggyback off what you said um the 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 three main women in the story I think what we see um is all of them have intuition that the others don't have that um dot indira um and the matriarch of the line family all see things the way they really are um despite what anyone else sees around they, they are looking through the bs to what's really going on right um and to sort of play off what you said uh you know, if this is sort of an inversion of the Fargo story with a little bit of a little bit of a shift, um, you know, this season with the main bad guy being a law enforcement person, we have spent a lot of time with two of the main law enforcement people, and that's him and his son. Right. And, right. Which, which, if that's a conscious construct or not, is an interesting tonal shift that goes along with your theory about you know, what, what this is focused on. And, and I think we also see in this episode to sort of my point that, that I think we're going to move to soon is not only do we see the toxic masculinity, but this sort of cracks the door on the difference between the haves and the have nots. And, you know, that this company that Mrs. Lyon owns, it, like it's the largest debt collection firm mm-hmm. you know in the area and what is what's uh you know roy saying he said she owes me a debt talking about dot what is sin eating but absolving taking someone's debt uh what what does tillman owe much a debt you owe me right, right. like right like so the idea of 
people who have a righteous grievance for not being compensated fairly or mistreated and how those resolve it also will be a, a, a major plot point going forward. And, um, you know, just thinking of the thought of if you're wealthy, you pay somebody your sin. So you go to heaven. Um, that's sort of the idea that I'm important and someone less than me isn't. And, uh, so I, I'm, it, it, it's fascinating the the structure this has taken. Um, and I, I mean, I know you and I on our preseason FanDuel, uh, you know, betting account didn't have like 1500 England on our, uh, no. on our, on our, uh, <laughs> uh bet, betting sheet. So Wales. Uh, yeah. Like, wait, what? what? My note was, wait, 500 years earlier, what? If there was ever a record scratch moment in my head in in recent memory, that was it. I thought, what are we doing? Like, what is this? It's funny you should mention that. Oh, and just to complete the thought, even though I think I kind of said it, but just to just to drag it out just a little bit more, just to hammer it home. Um, I, and I like the phrase that you use, uh, the inversion of the for- of the Fargo formula, because again, and I'm going back even to I'm going back to the original movie where the victim of the kidnapping, the wife, whatever, is really like almost just that plot element and never really much of a character herself throughout the entire story. You know, she, either she's a person with a hood on the whole time, whatever. And here, the object of a, a screwed up kidnapping and everything else is really the main character driving all the action right. and basically dominating everything. So I, I just, that alone, and then it all kind of ripples from that point on. Right. So anyway, I want, now I want to go back to what you just said. Um, and I'll, and we, I'll, I'll skip over the, I'll, I'll, I'll give Dot, a little bit of credit and how she was able to get away with the, the what in my mind was kind of a dumb scheme but you know it's okay it'll delay you for like five minutes but it's 2019 if anyone's tracking you down they're using gps you know her streets find switching all over the neighborhood <laughs> she was able to do that with like no one no, no, really she's that she's that quite she's that stealthy she's like Catwoman out there okay no i want to go back to what you said um when when Wilson were in Bismarck, North Dakota. By the way, I just like saying Bismarck, North Dakota. I don't know. It sounds like a pun- <laughs> sounds like a punchline Johnny Carson used to use back in the day or whatever, or um, I don't know. And there's some um, music playing on the soundtrack. I forget what the song is. Although there are other songs I, I we're certainly going to mention a little bit later on. By the way, Hulu mislabeled a song, and I. Uh, in this episode, which made me just made me go, whoever does the captioning at Hulu, you're morons because everyone knows the title of this song is 16 Tons. It's not what you said it was, which was like free something. Like, no, 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 no. It's Tennessee Ernie Ford's 16 mm-hmm. Tons. I've sung that song in karaoke, not recently, but I don't you know because like, I can do the baritone. But the music is playing here. And as we're going through, it's like, you know, it's a very, a very wintry Halloween, <laughs> whatever. And we, we and the, I forget what the music, I wish I had written down what the song was, or I should have looked it up. doesn't matter. But there's that moment, and I love them for doing this. It's just playing in the background. It's just, it's just soundtrack. And the old lady, she's sitting in her, in her living room with her beer and whatever, and she hears something upstairs, 
and the soundtrack distorts and slows down and stops. Mm -hmm. And I went, oh, that is, that's fucking gorgeous. I love that they did that. And then, I mean, I knew it was going to be Munch. I just knew that was where we were going with this. Now, I know there, I, I, we, I guess we should just go with the assumption because he says it that that is his actual mother. Although it's kind of funny to think that it's not. <laughs> he just he just calls her that. I don't know. But I can't, my first thought when he finally, I mean, I, I realized like, okay, that must be his mother, and he does say "mama" later on, and I kept going, "If that's your mother, I've got to meet your dad." I mean, he's probably in the grave or something, but I got to see what wrought this. And then when I'm having that thought, <laughs> that's when we get the 500 years later thing. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden the show just goes, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to go beautifully loopily off the rails and we're, we're not going to explain shit to you. <laughs> You're just going to have to go along with this. I, I, I was, I was following the conversations that were happening in that, church i guess it was and the whole the dude being a sin eater and i guess he's eating a plate it's just a plate of food though right that's on that's sitting on top of the corpse yeah but it's it's the idea of the people thinking that he's willing basically to sell his soul for a few pieces of coin yeah to to then have the sin of two men in him instead of just just his own and the terror that that evoked in people that someone would be willing to do that like it was so you know offensive and See, uh, uh here's the thing so that we have this and then you know we can we can jump around because again we're not recapping here then then of course this connects to what we see munch doing later where he's doing this bizarre ritual where he's clearly butchered a goat and he's smearing like goat guts all over himself and god knows what else whatever and and we're seeing flash. I think we see flashes of the five hundred years earlier scene, whatever. And cl I think they're making. Is it my now? It was it the same actor? Was it him? Five? Was it the same? Actor? I think I looked it up, and it was. Yes, it was him. Okay, I didn't. I wasn't. I thought that, that it was. They went lengths to not make him look identical. Yeah, different. Totally different kind of hair. He's you know whatever. Um. So clearly, he's a descendant of this person. We're not going to say, oh, are you going to go there? Really? Okay. Well, right. I, I'm not, but. No, but, you can. I mean, but, but hey, it is. The show has had UFOs. They can pretty much do whatever they want. <laughs> it, it is an interesting, it is an interesting thought that if it's not his mom um, and he shows up, but he's so terrifying that she doesn't call the police. Um, you know, that would, su that would suggest that the terror she felt in the moment was so abject that she thought, even, even if I call the police, I, I'll never be safe or whatever, that she just gave into it, um, that he is definitely a force of nature. And we see this in Coen brother movies a lot, you yeah. know, Anton. Right. Yep. I mean, th there are these killers that... Uh, while they have very distinct, uh, you know, pathologies and haircuts, that, 
and haircuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not good barbers. <laughs> not good barbers. I think, uh, I think Malvo, uh, yeah, the character you just mentioned from No Country for All Men. Now this one, um, but well, this guy's a force of nature. Well, it's interesting because one of the things that's established early on in, in the earlier scene in the episode during the, the conversation between Roy and Gator is they don't know nothing about this guy because right. he wasn't even – he. it was funny. The way Munch spoke in the previous episode, it sounded like he was the guy that had been contacted. Brought, but then Gator made it sound like it was the other way around. He had never even spoken with this guy. He actually right, spoke the to guy. the other guy. The, so. Yeah. Which doesn't quite jive with what was said in the previous episode, but whatever. It's just more interesting. Like, okay, we don't know anything about this guy. We got to, not only do we have to, it's not about tracking him down. And this also shows how Roy's a little bit smarter than just, you know, just track him down. Like, we need to find out everything about this guy, which right. isn't, which I don't think is simply about where he might end up be hiding out or whatever i think like let's know what we're dealing with because this right. guy this guy had the fucking nerve to fucking go up to another police officer or whatever you want to call him and basically stab the dude to death you know at, at, at a gas station i mean this is and after and after he was able to get out of you know the trap that they were about to kill him and he basically gets out of that despite there being multiple men with you know that are armed right there they are dealing exactly what you said, you know, first image. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to say that on a podcast. So again, and I love it because he's that element and the, and there's often we, they like to throw in an element like that in the, in the Fargo universe. Sometimes they're more the focus. Like I think Malvo is in, in season one or, you know, and and some and sometimes they're just more of a oh I, I mean you could say oh I'm gonna see oh well, too bad Jamie's on it she probably remember the damn character thing because she loves the actor so much oh then maybe you do too the dude who's also on Reservation Dogs who worked for the um for the for the mob family um uh, is it Zane McLaren is that his name? The, uh, he's a uh, Native American. Yeah, played the play. chief on Reservation Dogs. Play, I mean, played the chief detective like they yeah, had a police. Well, he's, well, he's, well, he's, well, he's a total goofball on Reservation Dogs, yes. generally, you know, even though we find some interesting stuff about him. But on Fargo, he was pretty much the polar opposite of that. And no, he, he was Stone Cold Killer. Yeah, and he, there was a certain, and there was almost a certain kind of mystical nature to the way he did things. And again, had nothing to do with him being Native American. They weren't, they, they, Oliver Stone didn't direct the goddamn thing. But, uh, <laughs> right. But it just seemed like, okay, he's, he's a bit above and different than all the others here. All right. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the, I don't know how much more I want them to go into the, I'm torn on the whole weird origins behind the Munch character. And I don't see, I can see Holly not wanting to go any further as far as any sort of explanation. I don't, because the Coen brothers wouldn't either. The Coen brothers well, are actually it, notorious. About the for aliens, that. the aliens were left rather. It, it was we never we never got anything more on it we yeah we, you know the, the, there was that special room that the ted danson character has I was like oh there you go but um <laughs> yeah <laughs> which people, people forget about that um but i don't i don't expect us to get more explanation for it 
I'm torn on how I feel about that because part of me wonders how necessary this was, but we're only three episodes in. There's so much more that might happen. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm putting this under the wait and see category. Let me see how this plays out. Um, right now it just seems to be we are getting some I, sense of, you, you mentioned the word pathology before. Um, we're getting a sense of what the background might be for his pathology or at least what he believes it to be. What, what, where his, you know, everyone has their source of, um, what, what their own faith is, so to speak. You know, whether it's something that feels genuine or not. We, like Roy, it seems like it's bullshit. Um, it's more of an excuse. And this character, Munch, seems to be the opposite of that, that he is totally embraced and wrapped up in it. He, he is a man of convictions. Um, and now, and, and sole focus and purpose, you know, the debt that is owed to him. And is pretty pagan, man, that ritual, like that's what you got to wonder if he's somebody's descendant, that ritual ain't going on a lot of places these days. Like, like that had to be passed down through his family or something for him to do what he did to that extreme. Right. Um, and I love, I just want to say, I love the touch, um, you know, of sort of the contrasting going towards the houses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the fact that they focus in that he's so covered and dirty and th- that like he leaves visible footprints on the floor that you right. basically can see like bits of shit falling off of him walking through that house. Yeah. I'm trying to remember because I, 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 like I said, I, I wrote down, you know, a couple words here, a couple words there. I'm just trying to see if I know it happens before that. So never mind that. Okay. Just had a check. I should have just said what I was looking for. I, trying to, I was trying to remember if uh, a certain piece of music that's used later in the episode, which made me kind of happy, uh, coincided with the ritual because I didn't think it did. It actually happens before the ritual. So got it. Um, and we can, we can just actually one last since you mentioned the the footprints in the house. Question: Is that Roy's house? It's Roy's house, right? I, I think it is. I, I think, think it's Roy's he's going to go kill. I think he's going to go kill Roy's family. I think. I think that. I think. I think that's where we're going with it. I think that's what they're painting the picture of. I think that's why why we've seen the twins a few times like that, and we've seen this poor woman as well. Whether he successfully kills all three or not, we'll see how dark they want to go with this, but that seems to be where they're going. And that's the interesting thing about that is if, if they go to that extreme and I could totally see them doing that, does that therefore make Roy a sympathetic character? Maybe not so much Karen, since we already know he, we already, I already interpret that he's probably already been brutal to her. But if the kids are killed, that they're, they are innocents. You know, we saw him, he, we saw him just with them, you know, bathing in the bath, you know, in the bathtub together, which was an odd choice, you know, in that episode. But it's like, okay, I, I, I see what we're doing here. Very interesting. So we talked a little bit before about Gator and his, you know, how, you know, how his dad talked to him. And then we see him later on, you know, he's, He's just, it's, it's done almost a comical effect, I suppose, where he keeps saying that he's a winner because he's trying to, because his dad was talking, referring to him being a loser or whatever. 
and which he uses to motivate himself to go down and to uh to swipe some evidence and that's when wit shows up so we have that little showdown between wit and gator so we got some things going at play here we get we get a little bit of racism yeah big shock (laughs) you know we go oh he's he's certainly not the kid we saw in stranger things all right (laughs) i love that wit does not back down from his threat, you know, if he says it one more time, whatever, even though Wit is in a situation where, well, he's on crutches, man. I mean, it doesn't take much, like, and he does like kind of like kick the crutch a little bit. You know, he, he's not in a position where he can do anything with any, you know, great, you know, physical power here. But I love that he did that. He spoke, he, he stood up to him anyway about, you know, yeah. What'd you take from, what'd you take from the box, you know, over and over again. Right. So I, I really kind of enjoy. So, and I, so I love it's the, so we've got the, we've really got good cop, bad cop going on here, you know, up against each other. And the moron, of course, left his card upstairs. So they, you know, it's like me tracked down. But, um, I kind of want to spend more time with Wit because I, I'm finding him to be a really interesting character. And I think, and I looked up that actor. See, that's the thing. I was looking up both the actors who play these two, the, the two, you know, good cops, so to speak. Because, I mean, although maybe folks didn't really know Allison Tolman that well in the first season, because she had only done a few things. Um, but she had a, and because, you know, let's, let's face it, people of certain size don't get the kind of roles that, you know, leads, whatever. But she really held it herself. And Colin Hanks is a known quantity. People know who Colin Hanks was. Season right. two, Patrick Wilson's a movie star for God's sake. And Ted Danson's Ted Danson. You know, season three, it's Gary Coon has become, like, like at that point, major TV force to be reckoned with. I, the, 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 but you did have a younger woman playing Winnie whose name escapes me at the moment. Of course, Timothy Elephant's Timothy Elephant, whatever. See, these two I didn't know. I know Wit, he's probably best known, the actor. He was one of the main characters on the show New Girl. And I think he's like, you know, a hundred something episodes of that. And he's done a he lot was of Winston, wasn't he? Winston, that's the character's name, exactly. Yeah. I did not watch New Girl because, you know, contrary to what a few people out there believe, you know, I'm straight. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Did I say that? Yeah, like, well, yeah, I put it on my list right, right after Sex with the City. I'm like, no, I'm not going to watch this fucking shit. I like that you called it Sex with the City. <laughs> <laughs> probably a good sign you didn't watch it <laughs> <laughs> no I, I i watched all the different porn versions of it instead, <laughs> sex you know. with the city <laughs> i can't imagine what would have rhymed with city anyway um but uh right no but i looked up and he's also you know he's he's been a comedian he's done, he's done a lot of other things as well but you know little part ton of little parts or whatever but um i'm kind of curious to see the two though and, and I, I kind of want to see more of him. Absolutely. Because he's kind of, he's very much the Colin Hanks here. Because Colin yeah. Hanks kind of like just fell into it. He just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and run into Malvo. And that's where he ends up becoming part of that story. This dude is classic, just wrong place, wrong time. Spin on the Fargo thing with the cop at the end. Except this time one cop gets away. 
and then right. it stays in. So that's that. There's there's your difference, I guess. So I I really again I really kind of enjoyed that little show down there. Um, it's funs again. I I I know the actress Joe Carey, but it's like wow. Who thought Steve could be such a badass? <laughs> yeah. We're Stranger Things fans, whatever. Yeah, I, I love that scene too. And uh I I think uh Wit is the the person that right now we're most interested to see what he does and how he responds to everything. There I mean, there's no doubt Indira is a little more uh you know hard on her sleeve. Wits a little more closer to the vest. And uh, so I, I think that the two of them together will be an interesting combination. But I agree with you. They they parceled him out in small dollops. And I think he, he will. I, I really look forward to what they do with him. Well, a lot of times what they what, what if they if they're following uh, the brand formula, whatever I like to call it, at least to a certain extent, it seems to me that. And Dara's train is going to be more on the lions and even Dot, where more so than him, where I think he's going to going to be end up leading more towards uh, the Tillmans. Oh yeah, and Munch. And Munch. I think that's where we're going. I, I think I could be wrong. I think because just like you know, like like you know, Allison Tolman and Colin Hanks. That really became Colin Hanks became more about the Malville character, and Allison Tolman was really focusing on the Martin Freeman character, which right. is how that that show ended up splitting it by the end. By the by, by, by the it, end, it it really makes me think it it would be an interesting thing to see Munch and him against the Tillmans. That there's this reversal because Munch starts out trying to kill him and actually shoots him, um, and now that you know. They both have something against the Tillmans. Yeah, I, I, I just, I, I, I just, I don't. I, I don't mean like a team. Up, yeah, because I'm not. Yeah, a way. There being a way, the Tillmans are brought down by the two of them. Oh yeah, no, no. okay. If you're talking about there's multiple threats they're dealing with at the same time that are coming from different way. Diff- yeah, and again, and that's also Fargo. That, right. that that's pure Fargo. I mean, we can go to like season two, and you know, all the things that the, the mob family was dealing with were, you know, threats from Kansas City. This one, then the cops, you know, all same, same kind of deal. Um, so speaking of uh, Munch, whatever, and and how I am enjoying the music and that they're choosing for this season, like I always do. But I noticed a little thing here, and it just it just hit my ears, and I could be wrong. I don't think I am because, you know, when does that happen? There's that little moment when Munch is lying there on the bed and he's listening to the police radio. And I'm like 90 something percent, I'm going to say 98.7% sure about this. I'd say 237% sure, but that doesn't make any sense. There's a little bit of music playing. I like to call it a little musical cue, the way it builds and the way it kind of and whatever, I am so damn sure, and I, that's, and this might not be the first time the series has done that, that they just chose a little piece of music from The Shining there. I mean, I, I'm telling you, go back, go back and watch. It's on, y'all got to Hulu. If you're familiar with the movie The Shining, I'm sure most of you are, so you know the kind of music I'm talking about. 
go put on that scene and listen to the music. I'm so sure that's what that is. And 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 I I'm sure he would do I, I, I guarantee Hawley would do that. I just I, I feel he would. And I'm not saying, oh, it's similar. No, 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 no. It is. It, 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 I'm telling you, it's not similar. It, it's from that. It's well. It's, th- this is the this is the season of the homage because he's definitely, you know, putting nightmare on nightmare uh, before the, Christmas. Before oh, Christmas getting, on Front Street. Oh my God! I mean, having the what's funny is the stuff that we got the nightmare before Christmas stuff in this episode almost felt okay because you know there's there's a decoration because it's halloween makes sense and then the mask they use happened to be masks from the character from nightmare before christmas okay it's a connection that almost seems more normal than picking a song from the soundtrack like they did in that previous episode which was really like whoa but yeah they're they're hitting that see if they do it one more damn time and who knows because we figure at least one more episode will have to take place you know, still on Halloween because of where we left off. If they lean into that movie one more time, I'm, I'm going to have to go back and watch the damn movie because I'm going to think, is there something else he's going for here that I'm not picking up on that, you know, maybe maybe there's just a thematic element about Nightmare Before Christmas that he's trying to parallel here. I, I kind of remember it to a certain extent, but it's been, look, I haven't seen that movie in probably over 20 years. So, <laughs> I mean, I remember a couple songs from it, but I don't remember much else. Well, when we do the podcast next week, there was an article and you and I try to stay, we try not to read anything. Right. Uh, so we don't parrot stuff. Um, there was an article I bookmarked to read, um, that where Noah Hawley was interviewed, oh. um, about this season. So I'll be interested to read that and see what, after this podcast to, okay. to see what he has to say and, Maybe we'll get a, a snippet or two to talk about next week on it. But um, I have to say, like, the ending of this is about as cliffhangery as you could cliffhanger. Um, you know, this was a 50 serial type cliffhanger that, <laughs> you know, as the as the feet walk in and um, the last couple of points, I, I love that we got the scene of dot at the super gun emporium. Oh yeah. And, um, and I thought for a minute that that was Charlie day playing the guy selling the guns. And then the, it zoomed in. It wasn't, but I thought, is that Charlie day? Um, and, and I mean, he would have been great in that role too, but, right. but, but the, the, the little detail in that, that we see is something you, and I meant to mention this earlier and referred to it. You see her, that she knows the guns. She knows the names, the types, and she knows how to handle them. So it's not just, you know, I know how to make a zombie killer or all that, um, that she dresses, you know, her and Scotty in actual tactical armor to go out, you know, to get Halloween candy. Um and sadly enough, the husband's like the zombie has no, no protection. No, nothing. Uh, but, you know, another nice little detail that she takes that weapon and knows immediately what to do with it. Um, so, I mean, she's formidable. Right, right. Yeah, it was funny with the gun store clerk scene that um, I initially 
I hate I hate bringing up my own stuff that no one will care about but me. But um, there was just a second there I got kind of annoyed because um, in my very first screenplay, there's a scene that takes place in a pet shop and pet shop that gets robbed, whatever. And for no reason whatsoever in in my script, it's again it's my very first feature I ever wrote. Um, the 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 owner, the guy running the place, is inexplicably dressed up as a pirate. And talking in pirate speak the whole time. I'm like, I, 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 I have him talk about the mizzen mast and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, in his own people who work for him don't know what the fuck he's talking about. So when I saw this, I'm like, all right, you know what? It's, I, I have this copy read. I, I wrote this like 15 years ago. Anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I, the ending is something. Um, I'm going to get there in a second. I, I just want, cause I, if I don't mention this, cause I've been, I keep talking about the music and then the last, there's two things that are both music related that I feel, one doesn't need to be said, the other one does. First one is like, look, I loved hearing Smack My Bitch Up by Prodigy, and especially a song with that title. And then when we have a character, although we haven't seen it, we know has probably been, has probably smacked quite a few bitches up, so to speak. I apologize, I don't really want to call people with it, you know what I'm talking about. But I love that they're using that track, it's because the way it moves and it's setting the stage for Halloween night. We see Munch stalking the streets before he, he goes off to perform his rituals. We see Dot suiting up and she's getting ready to leave. And then the song ends when the phone rings. And this is the musical cue of the fucking episode. Because it's Roy on the other end. And he's singing a Chuck Berry song. He sings the, he's singing the chorus from Nadine. I'm guessing her name was Nadine. I don't see any other reason why. You, right. Right. But there's, he's just doing it very whispery and slow. And again, I keep going back to the word menace because there's something mm -hmm. so malevolent and menacing about it. Um, and that's a side we haven't really seen with John. I, at least I haven't seen with John Hamm before. So I'm, I'm sure he's still getting to play a part like this. We've seen him be, you know, a quote unquote bad guy. You know, the, like we said before, morning show bad guy, Kimmy Schmidt, goofy bad guy, whatever. This is something different. Again, maybe he's done this before in a, a, another role that I'm not aware of, but I really liked them do, just the, the look on her face. And it just, to me, it just told me so much. Mm -hmm. And I, I, kept, I just kept thinking about it. And I, I remember I was watching it on, watching it on the Hulu. And I even, when she puts down the phone, I actually just pause, I pause it just to go, I kind of want to just rewind that. I just want to watch that just that little bit once again, because that was, that was so good. Cause there's so many ways they could have went about that. You know, he, he could have been saying something, but, and we connect that to the oh, that early scene when he's imagining that he sees her in the in in the in the ceiling, so to speak. And the way he says, he doesn't just say, you know, the way he says, "I see you," kind of like it was a mm -hmm. sing song. And then he continues it with the so singing the song here. I just thought that was just such a nicely subtle, creepy fucking moment. It, it this is the most horror movie. Yeah, that an episode of Fargo's ever been like, I mean, you ha basically have like a couple of scenes that are reminiscent of the original Halloween with everybody walking down the street, her looking for an attacker, you know, um, 
You've got, you know, when a stranger calls, you, you know, with the phone call, um, you basically got the, the, whatever the Northman, you know, Skarsgård movie, uh, scene with the ritual you, it, it has a lot of the really dark elements right. that 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 Far, fargo goes dark but this is like horror movie dark right. a lot of this and i would say it even it, it starts with the very end of the previous episode with the murder of the of the other deputy yes and because there's that moment where he's, he's, where he's sitting in the car and that's a pure horror movie scene where we're just yep. we're waiting. It's the it's the classic Hitchcock ticking time. We're, we're we're waiting for some, we're, and we keep thinking he's going to come around the other side and the hand's going to grab and we never get that. He just it's him spotting the body and and the, and the reflection on the mirror or whatever. But even the way you know we have the violin like here or the quiet. I can't remember what the music was, whatever. But it's, it's done that thing. It's it's heightening tension. And when yep. you and if there's, I mean, obviously suspense thrillers are about tension as well. But here, as we said, because there is because it's death, and there's also the possible, even you know, the slight hint of we may see something we don't want to see. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's even when we see earlier. I mean, when we see those bats being made for the zombie hunters, the only thought I'm having is we may see those bats in action, and that's going to be, you know, that's going to be something straight out of straight out of fucking Walking Dead. Quite, you know, quite honestly, I mean, one yeah. of the two bats actually looks like Negan's bat, quite frankly, and they went full spiky on the other one, like it's something that I've like I haven't seen the movie, but I'm I'm sure the Warriors must have a bat like that somewhere. I don't know. I'm just I've never seen it. Like, it came out in 79. I can't do it on the podcast. Sorry, guys. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, really, really fascinating uh, episode. Yep. Uh, l- liked it. You know, m- moved the plot forward, maybe not a tremendous amount, but a little bit. And, but set in motion what I think will just be an absolutely bonkers fourth episode that I can't wait to see. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm already looking at, okay, so there's a few more red shirts I think are going to die, you know, you know, i.e. guys in the car. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, we're not going to get to talk to you. I mean, okay, that probably means you're going to die. You know, one of, I bet you, I bet you one of you is taking a bat somewhere that's not going <laughs> to, that you're not going to survive. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, absolutely. Um, again, the, 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 the season, it's not, at least so far, it's not super plot heavy. Um, there aren't like a number of things happening at the same time the way um, Fargo can be. It doesn't mean that that still might not happen, but there aren't like schemes on top of schemes that are coinciding with other things at the same time. It's really someone, you know, so someone's trying to trying to hunt down his ex-wife who is in hiding and she's doing everything she can to avoid that but not but going about it in a in a far more unconventional way than one would have expected and everyone else is just reacting to that right either it's Lorraine and what they're doing or the cops and what they're doing it's just reactionary to that and you know and then you drop the the alternate bad guy or malevolent presence, which is the munch one, the guy who got screwed over by the big bad. So he's kind of the wild card as far as, wait, is he just going to be, you know, something to get in the eye of the bad guy? Like, which is, which is what it looks like is what's happening. Or is he ever going to do a, have anything to do with Dot again? We, we don't know. But, um, 
I don't mind that because it's, you know what? It looks great, it sounds great, and it's Fargo, and I'm enjoying it. And again, they need, maybe, hopefully they'll do a bit more or do more to make the cops either play a more significant part or make, or just make them more interesting. Um, which could happen if we just spend more time with them. Um, because they, they seem fine. I just, you know, I, I, I want to be able to be interested and root for them. You know, and then they're, they're actors I'm not familiar with. That shouldn't matter because I never saw Alison Tolman before either, but loved her in that, you know. Okay. So yeah, we will be back next week to cover the fourth episode. Um, I figure if I could do this one with, uh, you know, with gaping holes in my mouth, I should, should be even better next week. Um, we'd probably normally be talking about other TV shows around this time of year because there are other things that me and Brian both are watching. You know, it's, you know, we're, we're both For All Mankind fans and that's come mm-hmm. back and that's become, uh, quite the watch. And I think this is the, f- yeah, this is, um, yeah, we, I think we mentioned this on the other podcast. So I'm repeating myself. It is the final season of that. So I'm pretty sure they're, go- they're going to be going out with a bang. So far, it has been mostly very good. Um, there might have been a miscalculation with one character. Well, um, the, uh, uh, I guess I'll just say it. The, the, ca- the dude that we're following who goes to Mars, who's now, you know, he's just basically an HVAC guy there, you know, whatever. There's nothing wrong with him. I just don't know. He's just not terribly, a terribly compelling character. And what the show has mostly excelled in outside of, uh, couple uh characters kids all growed up who became awful 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 characters uh terrible <laughs> terrible like ter- terrible terrible like the worst characters terrible ever. Oh, terrible oh my god oh, if i would i would tell people you know what you can skip name um he's just kind of like just meh <laughs> yeah it, it, it'd be interesting to see I, i'm real curious where that's gonna go um you know i mean there's a couple pretty predictable ways it's going to go and i'm curious which way they'll choose but yeah i mean it's I, i'll just say this the, in reference to the other characters it's preferable to the one character because if i if i had the ability i would fly to mars and beat that guy's ass myself if i could like i would have flown to mars and kicked that character's ass um he was so intolerable right and again, you can be a character that isn't necessarily um, likable. I, that's really never an issue, but I still can relish the scenes there. And it's like how people would feel about maybe like Pete Campbell from the Mad Men days, for example, although I always liked this character. Um, but if the character is just like, you know what? I just don't want to see you on the screen anymore. You've be, you're just become an irritant in my eye. And then when I see your stupid brother, I, all I keep looking at is like, Oh, I don't even like the hairline they gave you. You're just a weakling. And I hate don't, the kids are awful kids. Parents were great characters. Kids are, kids are horrible characters. Yes. And if people know the show, you know what we're talking about. And if you don't, oh, well, I just, we just wasted two minutes of your time. <laughs> Brian, I think you wanted to mention something else, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you you put up a thread and extolled this show, and I know you and I have watched it from the beginning, and we wanted to give a shout-out to uh, the new season of Slow Horses. Slow Horses Season 3 has begun, and I believe the first two episodes have dropped. Um, The seasons are relatively short. If you've never watched it, it doesn't take long to watch a season. It's really compelling. It's a... uh, 
it's a slightly dark comedic take on, you know, the spy thriller uh, with a wonderful, wonderful performance by Gary Oldman. Um, you know, I mean, Gary Oldman's pretty much gold anyway, but um, in this show, he's a somewhat disgraced, um, seemingly bumbling uh, uh, mess of a man who manages a, a group of spies who are, you know, not the top of the top. And uh, the relationships, the stories uh, in season one and two were both good. Season three is two episodes in and off to a banger start. Oh, so excellent. I haven't gotten the chance to, to check to check out the two episodes because I know they just dropped, I think, on Wednesday. And that was the day I had, you know, my 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 dental surgery. So, I, <laughs> hey, the fact that I watched Fargo is miraculous. <laughs> but um Yes, as you said, I'm a huge, huge fan of that show. As I mentioned on on the Facebook, I mean, it made my top ten um, from last year. Uh, Gary Oldman, who has played any number of very unique, odd, strange, different, different, different roles throughout his career, he's, you know, that's kind of like his penchant. Um, this might not be as crazy a character as a as a Sid Vicious or a Beethoven or Dracula or any of those. But he's still something very, very different. And I knew it from the very, I think it's the very first episode and the very first scene where we're introduced to him lying there sleeping. And I think he farts in the first time. Yep, yep. And I was like going, wait, what, 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 what show is this? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, I, it, the the way, best way to describe him, his performance is so good that you can smell him. It, 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 it's, it's phenomenal. He's yeah, he, he's kind of like a nasty British spy version of Columbo or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, very much. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm looking forward to I'm glad you actually reminded me because um I'm maybe not tonight, but I will catch up on those two episodes tomorrow. And yeah, the previous two seasons, they're six episodes each. It's 12 episodes. Y'all can finish that in a weekend or two. You know, it's an easy show to catch up on. Not like the olden days of those 22, 24 episode seasons. Six episodes. It's British. They, the, if there's one thing British do know, like, no, we don't drag shit out. That's right. We, 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 we keep our, right. we keep our seasons fairly short. We, we might give you too many sometimes, but, but we like to leave you wanting. I don't understand why every British show I watch, like, like the, the flu, the motion isn't fluid on my TV screen. It, it really bothers me. So every time I watch, it doesn't matter if it's Downton Abbey or Broadchurch or Life on Mars or whatever other British. So it's like every, everything seems to be like, okay, is this in stop motion? Cause I, I, and I don't, and someone told me it's a setting on my TV. It's like, no, it's not. Don't tell me it's my TV. Cause I, y'all are just accepting it. It's just weird. I don't understand it. So it, it's less frames per second per minute or something. It's something that Brits do. It's bastards. Anyway. Slow horses looks great. So. Okay, I'm I'm looking forward to watching it very much. So, um, am I watching anything else? You know, it's not bad so far. I can't believe I'm going to recommend the show. Um, I'll just say it's not bad so far. But I'm surprised how much I like it. We'll stick with Apple TV on this one. the the mon uh, the monarch. Legacy of Monsters show. Mm -hmm. It's not bad so far. I mean, 
you know it's a show because if they if they I mean ob- uh, I shouldn't say obviously it's a show that deals with well it's part of the Godzilla universe so we are seeing God's you know we might you get the occasional moments of Godzilla whether they're clips from the 2014 movie or there's something new or not you know I I'm not I don't remember the movie well enough to know if it's a clip from the movie quite frankly as I discussed with someone else on online uh, recently. You know they can't. It's not like they can spend a hundred million per episode for this. So you're not gonna you're not gonna get wall to wall. What's what's the pronunciation? Is it kaiju? Is that how they yeah kaiju all the giant creature things whatever? But they give they give you enough of that for that to be satisfied. But they're really trying to make this more about characters as we toggle between uh, essentially two different time periods. And I love the conceit of the show that even though as much as I hated him. On that awful, 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 awful Falcon and the Winter Soldier TV show, because I hated that, that, that piece of shit so much. On this, we've got Wyatt Russell playing a character in 19, in the 1950s, and his dad, Kurt Russell, playing the same character, you know, in 2000, is it 2023 or, no, no, it's 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 an earlier year. Yeah, it has to be around the time of the uh, Godzilla movie. So, whatever. I mean, although they do make the joke because that means the Kurt Russell character is supposed to be in his early 90s and he's, no. (laughs) I mean, he's the best preserved dude ever in his 90s then. But they do such a good joke because you realize, holy fuck, do they look like each other? Yeah. I mean, they, they, and they are leaning into it. They keep having scenes where they just go from one face to the other and they're not doing like a little digital thing. Or if they are, they're making it so that I'm not even aware of it. But I love that the fact that he pulled that off. And I'm, I'm kind of just enjoying seeing where this is going. And it's been kind of, it's unexpected. I did not think I would like it. I thought it'd be like, oh, this crap. And I actually look forward to checking it out. So, you know, another notch on the Apple TV belt. Does it make up for the price going up? No. But, um... (laughs) Anyhow. So that'll be it for the TV shows. Anyway, if you enjoy this podcast, you'll also enjoy hanging out on our Facebook page. Look us up. Serious TV drama podcast page. Like the page, join the conversation about whatever the fuck you want to talk about. Hopefully something TV-related, you know. We are available on most podcast platforms. But if you want to look us up on podbean.com, again, you can type in Serious TV Drama Podcast. I think STVD works there too. Probably does. You can access all 300 and, 393 of our episodes, I think. Because this is just should be 393, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, if you use Apple Podcasts, go there, rate us, review us, whatever. Or, or don't, I don't fucking care. Um <laughs> You know, go there to rate and review Scott Forgot the 80s, because I would really, you know, I've got like, ooh, ooh I got seven ratings. No, that, 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 you know, that's better than some podcasts do out there, you know, but I'd like more. Um, and, and, and maybe people can autocorrect because, you know, hop into the Dolores when you're trying to say hop into the DeLorean. But you didn't see that when you typed it. You couldn't, fi- eh, people, stupid. Anyway, you can also find us on Instagram. <laughs> That's you're really asking for the good ratings. I, I see. I know it's really working. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe get that guy to come out of nowhere and give me give us a one star again. Well, welcome to the Larry David School of uh, <laughs> Podcast Promotion. Yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah. We're on Instagram, Serious TV Drama. We're still on X, Twitter, whatever. 
Although I'm be I'm more and more troubled by the fact that we're there, but uh, I'll I'll stick with it for now. Even though you know the the whole Musk anti-Semitic thing is starting to bother me. Can't imagine why. Um, but I figure it's still a viable venue to at least put out stuff about the podcast. Not like anybody else is putting it out there anyway. So. Uh, so we're STVD podcast there. If you want to follow us there, I'm on the road from here. <laughs> I'm really not caring at the end of this podcast. This is a uh, this this is uh, a malaise I sat over Sc- uh, Scott as we wrap up the podcast. Uh, I, th- I think his laughing gas is wearing off, and well, uh, you know, you know, I. I, I I had, I, had, I had the teeth yanked out, and then I was like bleeding for like the rest of the day into the night. And there's like this weird hole in the back of my mouth. And, I'm, and then when I open it, I flash a put the flashlight in there. It looks like there's almost like a little vagina growing in the back of my mouth. So it's like, wait, does my mouth have its period now? I don't know what's going on. It won't stop. It has stopped now. It, has, it, it hasn't really bled today. Um, I don't think it did. I don't know. But um, but I'll, but you know what? I'm not whining about it. It's actually considering all the maladies I've dealt with over the last few years and just this year alone, injuries and illnesses and whatever, um, this is actually not as bad as any of them. There hasn't really been much much pain or discomfort. It's just been kind of an annoyance as far as eating or whatever, um, but apparently not enough of an annoyance to keep me from eating too much because I still ate too much. Um, you know, like, how much sushi can I eat? But um, yeah, anyway. I'm rambling again. Let's stop this. Brian, thank you so much for joining me tonight on this, whatever we want to make of this podcast. I don't even know. anymore. Hey man, no problem. And, uh, listen to, uh, listen to us next week for more exciting ramblings by Scott. (laughs) Fuck you. All right. (laughs) Good night, everybody. (laughs) See, I thought (laughs) fucking Jamie part two over there. All right. Again, good night, everybody. <laughs> good night. Thank you. Jesus. All right. <laughs> <laughs>